Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to The Dead Parental Podcast, a podcast designed to open up the conversation surrounding grief and to ensure young grievers feel less alone. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with young adults from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. The good, the bad and the banter. Grief is one of those things you simply cannot fix. You can't run away from it, you can't escape it, you can't fix it, you can't get rid of it. It's something that you have to live inside and live with. And early on, it's it's quite difficult, it's daunting, it's terrifying, it's awful, it's gruesome, it's hurtful and heartbreaking and oftentimes soul-crushing even years down the road. Don't do it alone. Don't even try to do it alone. Doing it alone is one of the worst things that you can do to yourself. I don't recommend anyone trying to carry something so huge and so deep by yourself. Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Dead Parent Club podcast. This week I'm joined by Eamon. Her dad lived with cystic fibrosis his whole life, but she wasn't aware of it until she was 14 years old and his illness had gotten progressively worse. After a bad case of pneumonia that nearly killed him, he came back home to live his final years with his family. Eamon and her mum became his full-time carers. In this episode, we discussed the power of true friendships, how her family, especially her brother, supported her after her dad passed, and how her loss has shaped her into the woman she is today, including her career as a healthcare professional specialising in palliative care. This is a lovely episode highlighting how one open and honest conversation with someone who cares about you can truly help you begin to process your grief and stop living a positive and fulfilling life. I hope you all enjoy this episode. If you love the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave it a review on whatever platform you're listening from, as it helps me to reach more young people just like us who are grieving the loss of a parent and feeling like they're alone in what they're going through. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for coming on to the DPC podcast. I really appreciate you taking the, taking the time to tell your story and to kind of give advice to other young people that are listening that are just like you. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself so that our listeners have an insight into who you are and then giving a kind of brief 
introduction into your story and your affiliation with the Dead Parent Club? Yeah, so I'm Eamon. I'm currently living in Toronto, so that's Eastern Canada. But I spent my childhood in Western Canada in the province of British Columbia. I'm 24 years old. By training, I'm a public health professional. So my undergrad was a Bachelor of Public Health. And I've chosen to specialize in palliative care, specifically supporting caregiving, dying, death, and grieving experiences. And for the last three years, I've been involved in an international movement called Compassionate Communities. And that is how I got involved in this work. Oh, wow. What, can you give me some more information on that? What is, um, what's Compassion Communities? Alan Callahir, um is the individual that co-pioneered um, the concepts and the sort of the foundation behind this model and this movement. And, you know, his idea was and still is what he preaches is that while yes, you know, things have evolved for the better as well, and science has made progress and our healthcare systems have evolved for the better in so many ways. But at the end of the day, the healthcare system is not a replacement for community and community Mm -hmm. is such an essential part of who we are through everything and even through death and grief. And so, you know, he, his whole idea is that uh, supporting others through these experiences, like it's everyone's business, like death yeah. and dying and grief and caregiving is everyone's business. So as citizens, as humans, as people, it's our responsibility to, you know, look out for the people in our community. Of, and when they're going through something like this is to show up and to offer any kind of support that we can. And, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's basically kind of going back to our roots, like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, our like caveman times, like we, yeah. community is literally how we survive, isn't it? So yeah what, yeah, what a brilliant initiative. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind kind of telling us the story about your loss. Yeah, so my dad died when I was 17. And he was terminally ill for about three years before he died. He had cystic fibrosis, and he lived with that pretty much his whole life. But I didn't know that he was living with this or that he had this disease until I was about 14. And that is when his illness started to progress pretty drastically. Um, That must have been such a huge shock as as a teenager to find out that your dad has been living with, you know, what can turn out to be such a debilitating disease yeah it definitely was it was like my whole world got turned upside down and Mm. I was all of a sudden looking at everything in my life through an entirely different lens and it was it was it was very shocking it was a very very tough adjustment it was a really big thing to wrap my head around and it was almost like I kind of looked back at my childhood and all of a sudden I was seeing all these things that I never saw before. I never understood and never realized. And it was almost like I was staring at like two versions of my childhood. There was like the happy one with all the innocence and being naive and not knowing. And then there was the other side that was a little bit, a little bit darker in some ways. And I started to notice and remember a lot of things. I started to connect the dots after I found out. So, wow, like, what a huge, huge thing to find out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, so for those three years, then I'm guessing your dad must have deteriorated 
knew quite quickly. I think my mom started to notice that like his disease was starting to progress slowly a little bit over time. But what really, I think, changed the course of things drastically was he he got what we thought was just the flu one summer and it turned out to be pneumonia and any kind of infectious illness of the lungs or the chest or the respiratory system is quite quite detrimental yeah. in this disease so yeah. we realized well my mom realized pretty quickly that it was pneumonia because of you know the intense fevers that he was having and his symptoms just weren't going away and the cold doesn't last this long and all of that so she took him to our family doctor and he recommended that my dad be taken to the hospital where he could receive proper antibiotics through an IV and all that so that he could fight the infection a lot better. And so my mom took him there and his first in his first few hours in the ER, a nurse actually sort of overdosed him on whatever medication that she Gosh. was supposed to provide him through an IV. You know, she didn't really take into account his weight, his um, height, his mm-hmm. age, his all of his health issues and, you know, the whole picture really. And so she, you know, she gave him too much of whatever he was supposed to be receiving. And that caused a fluid overload in his body and his lungs actually filled with fluid. And so he kind of almost internally drowned because of that and he actually almost died that day like my mom tells me because she was the only one present for the incident like from our family and she said that you know he he turned blue um there was no heartbeat on the monitor like he flatlined and they had to revive him and drain the fluid from his lungs bring him back to life. I don't know if they did CPR or they like shocked him with those paddle things. Like I'm, I'm not sure about those details, but basically, yeah, he almost died because of that. And How because traumatic. of yeah, because of the fluid overload and then pneumonia and then that entire incident, there was so much, so much damage was done to his body and his lungs, especially that, you know, they had to put him in an artificial coma like sedate him for about 10 days after that just so that he could recover from that Mm -hmm. they put him on a ventilator so that his lungs could have a chance to recover from that and even though they took him off the ventilator I think a few weeks maybe a month or a little over a month after that he stayed in the hospital for about three months or maybe a little over three months so I'm guessing obviously your dad came home after those those three months in hospital, um, am I right in assuming that? Um, yeah, you are. He did come home after yeah. those three months, so he was yeah he's at in our house in BC, and it was um as summer came to a close and fall came and school started, my mom became his full time caregiver. Well, I guess I was his part time. You know, I did what yeah. I could in between yeah. school, but once. Once summer came to an end and school started, it, I could only do so much. Like I could only do what I could do when I wasn't in school or when I wasn't having to do my schoolwork. And so I did what I could, but for the most part, it was my mom, you know, 24 hours a day. Mm. She was the caregiver. She was more often than not exhausted from it all. She was 
managing his care, managing the house, managing all of the responsibilities, all of the ones that my dad had, you know, she took over and still taking care of me to some extent. I mean, I tried to do a lot of my on my own to sort of take a few things off her plate. But still, you know, she kind of became two parents in one over that summer. And it was really hard for me to watch her become that or try to carry all of that responsibility and kind of burden at times burden not in like a horrible sense just no, I understand. it was just a lot to carry for yeah, one person definitely he wasn't doing so well in the fall or the winter and my mom was I think she felt pretty alone and pretty you know it was it was tough and so she asked my grandma to come and she came and it was nice you know to just have her support and have her be around and have her help yeah. out Oh, just a bit of company and support, isn't it? And it's what you need yeah. more than anything. Yeah. Especially when you're that yeah. age, like you're so young. Yeah, it was it was nice kind of to have her there. And, you know, she would wake me up for school in the morning and try to do, I guess, try to do maybe what my mom didn't really have the energy or the time. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was some comfort in between all of the crappy stuff. But school, yeah. was, school was hard. It's it's so difficult balancing education and having that because for other kids, you know, your age and I had this same issue when I went to uni. For everybody else, all they've got to worry about is their education. Their biggest worry in their life Mm. right now is their education. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, when you've got a parent dying at home, like that is just that's everything to at, at that point. And even when you're not even when you're not actively thinking about it, it's constantly in your subconscious and it affects like your concentration and your motivation. And yeah, I can, you know, as as a kid in, in high school as well, I can imagine how difficult that was. It was, it, it was, it was brutal, I have to say. And I say that not just because my dad was dying or, you know, my home life kind of seemed like it was unraveling and it was mm. tough and it was often lonely and really scary and all kinds of confusing. But so the summer that my dad got really ill, I just finished ninth grade. And at the end of my ninth grade year, I actually, I lost my entire group of best mm. friends, which was like six of them. And that in itself was such a huge and dramatic loss in my life already. And I lost them because of a lot of misunderstandings and I won't go into too much detail but I just I think we just reached a point where for one reason or the other they felt that they couldn't be friends with me anymore and I also came to a point where I had to just accept that despite the fact that I didn't feel the same way and at the end of the day I ended up feeling the same way because I just realized that they weren't the kind of people that I wanted in my life anymore and they just weren't good for me and so we parted ways at the end of ninth grade and it was tough it was tough like having lost all those important people in my life and then you know almost losing my dad over the summer and I remember so clearly this one day and I came home from summer school, I sat up, I sat in my bedroom and I was sitting at my desk, you know, with my books open, trying to do my homework. And I just, I kind of just lost it. I just sat there and cried and I cried and I didn't know what to do. And my mom eventually came into my room to check on me. And, you know, she 
asked me what was wrong and why I was so upset because even though my dad was going through a rough time, you know, he was stable in the hospital, he was alive, he was getting a little better day by day and he was okay. And I just I just I said to her that, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair that I just lost all of my friends and then I almost lost him and now he's so sick and he's in the hospital. And why do all these horrible things keep happening to me? I don't understand. I, I just distinctly remember that conversation with my mom. And I mean, things got a bit better over the summer in the in the sense that my best friend, my family friend who lived across the street, she, her company was really a blessing that summer. She would like go on walks with me. She would talk to me on the phone if I needed. We would text all the time. So she was a constant a support and such a blessing. It was still hard because, you know, at the beginning of a friendship, at the beginning of most friendships, I wasn't exactly comfortable, not for quite a while, talking about all the tough things that I was dealing with at home and in the rest of my life outside of school. Mm. And, you know, like my friends would, they knew, they knew what was going on and they would, you know, ask me from time to time, like, oh, how's your dad doing? And how's he feeling? And how are you? And, all of those things and that was helpful. I don't know if it's because these friendships were new or if it was more than that. I think it was more than that. I just felt like I couldn't really relate to them. I couldn't, you know, tell them the the gruesome, horrifying realities that I had to face sometimes on a daily basis and how heartbreaking yeah. a lot of that stuff was. I just couldn't I couldn't get myself to say those things to them and so apart from my one best friend who lived across the street from me and my brother who, you know, started sort of virtually checking up on me from across the country. Apart from those two people who I sort of shared my grief and my pain with, I, I didn't really mm. sh share too much at school. Like, to, to me, it just felt like, you know, school was just another place where I had to keep myself together yeah. and just do what I had to do that that makes sense you kind of like keep them separate don't you in your mind so you kind of you know you don't bring the the trauma from home into your into your everyday lives I think I think we all do that going to the point where obviously your dad passed when you were when you were 17 do you remember anything particularly helpful or valuable that anybody said for you or did for you or is it more just the kind of you know were you still close with your friend from across the road was she like a shoulder to to lean on during those difficult times I think through it all my brother was kind of my anchor and he yeah. was really and truly there for me he just he showed up and he was there and he really tried his best even though you know he wasn't any kind of grief expert or death expert but he, you know, over the years, we became really, really close. And I remember this one time we were hanging out. And I think maybe we had gone to the movies or something. And he was dropping me home. And I just, I wanted to talk to him about a lot of things. So he kind of pulled over on the side of the road. And we just sat there in his car and we talked for like the longest time. And I remember this one thing that, well, a few things. I remember asking him some really tough questions in that conversation because I mean, I, I don't know, I think I felt like I couldn't ask my mom, I couldn't ask anybody else. So I asked him, you know, I said, is this ever going to go away? And is this ever going to get better? 
Or is it always going to feel this awful? Is this always going to hurt so much? You know, losing him and living without him. And one of the things that I love about my brother is his honesty and how honest he is despite what he has to be honest about. And he said to me, like, no, this is never going to go away. And I think it'll get better with time and you'll learn how to live with it and cope with it, but it won't go away. And that was, you know, that was hard for me to hear and absorb, but I'm glad that he said it because that that's the reality that I had to take on. And I also remember, you know, asking him some faith-related questions because, you know, he started on his own to say to me, you know, like when you miss him, when you miss your dad, you should, you know, he said, you know, it's okay for you to miss him. It's okay for you to be sad. And, you know, maybe you can go to like a quiet space in your room or somewhere and, you know, just take a few minutes and talk Mm -hmm. to him and just, you know, just say what you would say to him if he was still here. And I was kind of in shock when he said that to me at first, because, you know, I I kind of thought, like, I don't understand what he's saying because my dad's not here anymore and me talking to him when he's not here, you know, that I don't know how that works and, like, is my message even getting across and stuff? And so I asked him, like, but, you know, like, he's not here anymore, so how does that work? And mm. <laughs> and so he he said to me, well, you know, like, do you believe in God? And... I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, you know, when we pray to God, you know, do you believe that when you pray and when you talk to God, do you believe that he can hear you? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, if you believe those things, then Mm -hmm. how come you can't believe that God wouldn't get your message across to your dad? Yeah. That he wouldn't, you know, so he kind of, he kind of had me think about that and he kind of encouraged me and he kind of, in that conversation, like, Almost. I don't I don't know it was it was really profound like me sitting in his car that night at, at 17 it just felt like I was living in so much darkness for so long and after years it felt like someone you know kind of lit a candle for me and turned all the lights on and I wasn't in the dark anymore and it was just so profound that all those conversations with him when he said that it it honestly really like that was something that it really strengthened my faith a lot and yeah I still look back on it now and you know more than anything anyone has ever done or said to me that that it gave me sort of perspective it gave me strength in so many ways I didn't expect it to and that has always really stuck out to me and not just not just in terms of you know living with this huge loss and this huge hole in my life but on a whole like he made me like believe in God in an entirely new way that I didn't believe in before and that was that was pretty amazing so yeah, that's, that is amazing and what yeah. a lovely thing to take with you for, like to, for the rest of your life as well mm-hmm. like you know it's incredible a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, I know obviously you mentioned at the start of this um, episode that you're, you know, you're a healthcare, public health professional mm-hmm. and you're specialising in palliative care. So you know, that must have been, that must be so interlinked with, you know, your dad passing. I'm, I'm guessing that had a huge impact on what you've decided to pursue as a career. Um, Yeah, for sure it has. Um, so and about second year of my public health degree, um, in one of my, in one of my classes, in one of my lectures, we had a guest, a guest lecturer come in, and she, she was talking. She's actually someone that was working on compassionate communities movement at a local level. So in a city nearby to the city where my university was, she was, you know, on the ground doing the work. Um, trying to sort of transform that city into a compassionate city and so she was doing that work and um, she came into my lecture and she talked about the work she was doing and she talked about this movement and she talked about her own loss like losing her partner to cancer and she talked about why she does this work and it felt like I had found something meaningful. I'd found my purpose almost. And after hearing that lecture at the end of which she said, you know, she takes on students in the summer for like internships and practical experiences that got me really excited. And I reached out to her very quickly. And I said, you know, I want to work with you this summer for my first internship. And, And I emailed her to let her know. And I tried calling her and stuff. And we connected eventually, you know, I met with her in a cafe and we kind of we talked about a lot of things and she talked about the workshop that she does and but it it didn't it didn't pan out that summer following summer after my third year was finished actually um is when I reconnected with this person and and somehow like things just fell into place and you know I learned so much and I sort of this whole new world opened up for me and it was great and it was amazing and I loved that I got to do something meaningful and that I got to do work that was ultimately going to support people in these experiences Mm. I got to you know put my energy and effort into making these experiences better for other people even though mine was kind of crappy in a lot of ways (laughs) it was yeah it was very yeah, it was very moving. So that's how I got started in this work. And, and I did two on the ground compassionate communities projects. One I took on with my friend who worked with me for my mentor. So the two of us, we took on 
a university-wide compassionate university initiative where we basically launched our university as a compassionate university. And that was, that was big. It was really, but it was really, really amazing. And, um, you know, we made, we made our mark. We kind of, we left a legacy behind. We changed things for the better. And at the end of the school year, we handed off the project to another student who had actually lost a parent herself at a young age. The idea was that, you know, when the lead graduates, they pass it on to someone that they oh, take wow. on as a mentee. So it's it's like, you know, the, the idea that we ingrained and planted was that this would just be passed down from student to student and it would just keep going and going. And um, the other project I did was a mural. So me and a group of four other friends, we, we decided to paint a 12-foot mural it was huge it was massive and we you know through art and through imagery and symbolism we wanted to sort of break the stigma of not talking about death and dying and grief and so we painted this monstrosity managed to within a semester it was a huge project and it was a ton of work a ton of heavy lifting and, but it was amazing. It was amazing to watch it all come together. It was amazing to have it hung up at my university and it's still there and it's there permanently forever. And it was amazing to be able to leave behind that legacy too. And, you know, to leave it behind for people to relate to, be able to connect with and to learn from as well. And, you know, we were in the Brock News. So, like the news sort of news page the online news page for my university there like a story was done on the project and stuff to like promote it and to get the word out there so that more people learn about this and know about this and this project was a part of the compassionate university initiative but it was amazing in that you know that was all really transformational and after I graduated I went to work full-time for my mentor at the organization that she still works at now at a national level. Going back to the um, mindfulness project that you did, is there anything in, in particular kind of about mindfulness that you would recommend to any of the listeners speaking? Listen, any of the listeners, just, you know, any sort of advice when it comes to starting mindfulness or why it's so kind of effective? Um, yeah, so mindfulness, you know, when I first came across it through my professor, who I worked with for my thesis. Um, you know, I was I was one of those people out there, I guess, who also didn't quite believe that anything of that kind could actually be helpful. And, you know, I just thought it was a bunch of BS. And <laughs> But so my professor, who was actually teaching one of my classes at the time, she would do the practice with a lot of her students, and she does so much research on it on the side but you know living through that in her classroom I realized that it was definitely it was very very transformative and so I actually started doing mindfulness on my own outside of her class a lot and it honestly it's one of the things that helped me cope through some very difficult times it helped me get through a lot of what I didn't think I would get through and so my suggestion for anyone who wants to try it or that might be dealing with grief even it's just 
to start small and to start slow, there's definitely a ton of, you know, apps out there and books and there's videos you can watch that guide you on how to do it. And, you know, it's not, it's not about being really amazing at it or a professional or an expert. It's just about getting started and sort of wading your way through and finding that, that kind of that place of peace and kind of stillness within yourself. Mm-hmm. Because once you do, once you, I, once you find that place, you're able to, you're able to kind of take yourself there when you need to. And it really, it allows you to just pause and kind of step away from the everyday madness of life. And it really, it's so healing for your brain and your body and your soul. So yeah. Yeah. I've, I've started kind of trying to get into it with the Headspace app. I try and do that mm-hmm. 10 minutes if I can every day. <laughs> but um, sometimes even just finding those 10 minutes is really difficult. But I do find afterwards I feel just a little bit more calm. I think it's just you kind of feel good just dedicating 10 minutes of your day just to yourself because you don't really get to do that very often, do you? And, you know, with no technology or anything like that, it does feel fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very refreshing. It almost gives your mind and body almost like a rest that you don't get when you're so lost in the everyday of doing things and yeah yeah Yeah. it's really it's really amazing it's I would definitely recommend it to anyone that's looking for a little bit of an outlet Mm -hmm. respite (laughs) yes yes um so kind of going on to one of our final questions um do you think that it's changed the way that you go about your life and your attitude towards it um for sure I think it's definitely it's definitely changed my whole life, I think. Um, in terms of my attitudes towards life, that's changed drastically over the years. And, you know, I've become very, very, I think, I guess the epitome of, or the epitome of YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> um, just Looks up. Very, yeah. Um, because, you know, it just, death is one of those things that makes you realize that life is short it is so so short and if you've ever lost someone to death that's really close to you that's even more even more true in such a real way that you just can't you just can't ignore that and so I really try I really do try you know live in the moment and to just take things as they are and never to not really not sit on the sidelines anymore to really like seize everything that I can possibly seize and you know if there's something I want to do then I just I go and do it and I don't sit and wait because I don't know how much time I have on this earth to be honest none of us really do and yeah so I think I'm I'm just very I'm very motivated and determined now to actually try and live the kind of life that I want to and the kind that I dream of not just not just survive, not just get by. And I've also become, my personality has changed so much since my dad's death. Like I'm very, a lot more open, a lot more communicative, a lot more expressive. I, you know, in terms of the people in my life, like I don't ever let an opportunity pass me by where I can show them how much I love them and how much they're important to me. And I don't, you know, I go out of my way, I make an effort, I try and stay connected, I try to make the most of every moment, every second. And, you know, even in my professional, both my professional life and my personal life, I 
try to live as much as I possibly can. I try to enjoy as much as I can. I have become even more adventurous than I was before my dad passed away. Um, and, you know, adventure is one of those things that he kind of, he was that way too. And he kind of instilled that in me growing up, doing all the cool things that he did with me. And yeah, so I continue to adventure and live in the moment and live as wildly and awesomely as I can and not let any chances go by. And just, I'm also very honest. I'm so brutally honest sometimes. I think I need to scale back a little. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, just because, you know, I just think it's just, life is just too short to do all that pretending of any kind. So, you know, I just, I don't pretend much or at all anymore about anything. I just, I am the way I am and I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm actually quite proud of who I am and I, I let myself be human. I let I give myself the leverage of being horrifyingly sad when I am because grief is tough and I'm never going to stop missing my dad. I'm going to miss him the rest of my life. And, yeah. you know, I don't hide that anymore. I don't sort of crawl into a shell anymore. I just let it be what it is. And I let people in. I let them help and I let them support me. And I give myself the leverage of hurting when I'm hurting and just in general too I'm brutally honest about everything in life and with people and I think that's just the best way to go like you just you know you kind of get through all you kind of cut all the crap out when you're honest you kind of just get to the goal that you're trying to get to so much mm -hmm. faster and so I just I rip my band-aids off so yeah. much quicker now just yeah. you know if there is something that I feel like I need to be doing or something new I want to start and something I want to try and it seems, you know, kind of scary and I'm nervous and I don't know if I should do it. I just, I come to this moment of I'm just going to do it. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to think too hard, but I'm just going to do it because I know it'll be worth it in the end. So I'm just going to rip off this bandaid. It's going to be a bit scary, but I'll survive and I know the other side is going to be amazing. So I just, I rip a lot of band-aids off. And um, yeah, I think honestly, I think it's changed me for the better. I wouldn't be who I am without this loss and this hole in my life. I wouldn't. I'm just, I'm so, so different from who I was before yeah. when my dad was still alive. And yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for this change in me. I'm so thankful and I'm not sure if I ever would have become this way if he hadn't died. I don't know. I might have, yeah. you know, I might have gone on living life the way I was living it before, which I don't think was not worthy enough, to be honest, to me now that I look back on it. I mean, it was still a great life, but it just wasn't. It not was, as meaningful, was it? You, you live yeah, life with some no. more meaning now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, that's where I'm at. YOLO. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> um, yeah. Finally, just briefly, what would you say to somebody else who has lost a parent and, you know, struggled the same as you? Um, what would you say to them about their grief journey and what they can look forward to? Um, I would say, so the mural project that I was actually telling you about, the quote that we selected to write on it, it goes something like this. It's okay to admit that your wounds are still open, that you're still hurting. It takes time. It takes time. So that's the first thing that I would say that, you know, as humans, we have this instinct to 
like overnight fix things, fix our mm. hearts, fix our soul and fix anything and everything we can possibly fix. And that's just not how grief works. And it took me so many years to realize that, that grief is one of those things you simply cannot fix. You can't run away from it. You can't escape it. You can't fix it. You can't get rid of it. It's something that you have to live inside and live with. And early on, it's it's quite difficult. It's daunting. It's terrifying. It's awful. It's gruesome. It's hurtful and heartbreaking and oftentimes soul-crushing even years down the road. But I just want people to know that, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of ways that you can work through it and cope with it in healthy ways, you know, whether that's with the help of professionals or with the important people in your life. Just don't do it alone. Don't even try to do it alone. Doing it alone is one of the worst things that you can do to yourself. And I made that mistake quite a few times. And it honestly, it, it almost destroyed me. So I don't recommend anyone trying to carry something so huge and so deep by yourself. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, reach out to people. And once you start reaching out to people in your life, you know, you you navigate, you figure it out, you figure out who you can lean on for this experience and who you can't and who can be a support for you and who can't. And you know it, there's a lot of grief resources and grief supports out there of so many kinds and things have gotten a lot better in that department. And so there's a lot of professional help out there, not just like therapy, but you know, there's support groups, there's books, there's online resources, there's just there's so much out there that can help you cope with something that's so big and so heartbreaking at times. So I would say that there's a lot out there that can be helpful. But really, more than anything, you know, give yourself the leverage of being human and don't put so much pressure on yourself and don't don't ever expect yourself to get over it. There's no getting over it. You know, you don't stop loving someone because they're dead. You just don't. That's not how that's not how the human heart works. And you're never going to forget them. So just you know, just remember them and honor them. Find ways to really honor them in your life and remember them. And I've, I've personally found that really, really helpful. And for me, it helps me stay connected to my dad in a lot of ways. And I still do things now that, you know, that I know he loved and he enjoyed and things that I did with him. And even newer things that I'm starting to do in my life now that he did maybe around when he was at my age and helps me stay connected to him. And so I think doing things like that, you know, doing things in the honor of the person that you lost is, is a really great way to stay connected to them. And it's not just me, but I know a lot of people, they either write to their um, lost loved one or they talk to them. And I know a lot of people do this. And I know for a lot of people, it also sounds very like, you know, what's the point because they can't read it or they can't hear you. But I think at the end of the day, it's about what helps you cope, what helps you grieve in a healthy way. And what at the end of the day, what you believe in, everyone believes something different. So I would say, you know, don't, don't slam your door on that either, because I did that for a really long time and then my brother sort of helped me realize that it was at least worth trying and I'm glad that I did because it's something that's helpful for me and for me like I 
I believe in God, and so I believe that God will get my message across to my dad if I ever do talk to him. And that's, I know everyone's beliefs are different, but I'm just, I think I'm just trying to say that when you come across these kinds of experiences, it's good to be open-minded about what is available to you that helps because a lot of the times Mm -hmm. the things that you never thought you would ever do and the things that you think are absolutely ridiculous at first end up being the things that help you the most so I would just say to have an open heart an open mind and yeah you know do do whatever brings you comfort and you know like I write to my dad and I probably will do it for the rest of my life because that's something that's comforting for me and yeah I mean I don't know if I'll get to you know one day take that journal up to heaven with me and have him read it or not I hope maybe (laughs) I hope so but even if that never happens it just just brings me comfort even though I know that in the present moment he's not reading it but someday I want to be able to share all of that with him and I hope I do get to up there with the big guy so yeah yeah that's that's lovely Some re- and there's some really lovely advice there. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Um. It's it's been it's been really nice, and I, I really appreciate you coming on to tell your story and to you know give some insight into you know how people can find ways to thrive again. Yeah. There's for sure. I mean, grief is tough, but you know it. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel. There really is, and I really mm. hope that people know that because for the longest time I didn't believe that there was light at the end of the tunnel but I made it there and I really hope for everyone else out there that you know is living through this or will live through this someday they know that and they hold on to that and they yeah really hold on to that candle and I hope someone lights it for them so Mm -hmm. well thank you so much you're welcome it's great being here Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well if coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening. And we'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.